Today we conclude our series we started many months ago, Thriving with Truth. We've been studying what the Bible teaches about our articles of faith here at Living Hope. We've been constantly reminded about what we believe from Scripture and what we believe about Scripture as a church body. Our text today is about what the future holds for those who believe. It's the last things that will be mentioned, the last things we'll experience. And so concerning last things and the future, our articles of faith say this. Read along with me. We believe that under God's sovereign hand, the world will come to an end. The Lord Jesus Christ will suddenly, physically, and visibly return to earth, conquer all enemies, and establish his glorious eternal kingdom. All persons will be physically resurrected and face the final judgment. Those of who have not trusted in Jesus Christ will be raised to eternal punishment and will spend eternity in hell. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ will be raised to eternal reward and dwell forever in the presence of the Lord, enjoying the new heaven and earth and joining together, proclaim the glory of it to the God who makes all things new. Today we're going to learn through Scripture what Jesus and Scripture affirms about Christ's return and the future of things to come. Jesus was very clear about these things. Jesus was very clear about what was to come. And today's Scripture we'll be reading is from Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 50. But I have this brand new young friend, Alex White, who's going to come and read a portion of that scripture. So would you stand in honor of God's word? Alex? From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Amen. God bless you, Alex. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Alex, are you sure you don't want to preach for me? You've heard two already. You could probably do a much better job than me. Thank you for sharing with us, my brother. I appreciate you so much. You did a great job this morning. So you heard the words. And for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we should not fear the future. We should not fear what's coming next week or next month or the next decade or for all eternity because we are sealed in Jesus Christ. And the promises have been made to us about his return and what we will experience with God forever and ever and ever and ever. So there should be a joy about those last things in Christ's return. The Bible is a foreteller of all types of stories from the very beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation about what God promised and how he fulfilled those promises. Follow with me if you would. God told Abraham that the whole world would be blessed through him. In Genesis chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 we find this, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He made that promise to Abraham in Genesis. And it seemed like 
it was impossible to carry through that promise as they were enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt. And yet, we know the story. God provided a savior, someone to redeem them in the name of Moses, and he returned them and kept his promise and brought them back to their home. God told David that he would establish David's throne forever. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, it says this, And your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And yet, it seemed impossible that when Israel was taken into Babylonian captivity, that that would ever be accomplished. And yet, once again, God provided freedom for them and moved them back to their homeland, moved them back to Jerusalem. Jesus said that he would die. He would die and on the third day be raised. Matthew 16, 21 says this, from the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. That seemed impossible to his disciples. That seemed impossible to people who heard that message because that had never been done before. That had never been done before. And yet, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 7, we find this truth. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to Scripture, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance to Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Jesus promised us in his word that he would return and fulfill all the promises of God for the future. In John 14, 3, he says this, And I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is talking to those who follow him. He's talking to those of us who are his believers. Jesus is saying to you and me, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go there, I will come again. I will come again. And I will take you to myself. That where you, that where I am, you may be also. I want you to think about this for a moment. It's a promise for the future. It's a promise for you and I that Jesus is preparing a place for us right now. He says he's going to come back and when he comes back, he's going to take us there and we're going to be where he's at for all eternity. And so today's text, we talk about three things that Jesus said about the future and scripture says about the future. The first truth, the first truth is that the future is planned by God. Does it, does it give you any assurance today to know that the future is planned by God, that what you're planning for the future and what God's planning for the future may be two different things, but there's peace and there's comfort and there's joy and there's assurance in what God's planned for us? Do you have that assurance? Do you have that joy today to know that whatever God's planned for you today, it's going to be okay because God's planned it for it and he's going to take care of you through that? Do you have a joy in that? Do you have a confidence in that? We act like we don't because most of us, if we're very honest, plan our own future. We plan what we're going to do this next week. We plan what we're going to do next month. We plan what we're going to do next year. And we have these plans apart from God most times because a lot of us are living like, and I'll get to it in a moment in our text, 
We live in the days of Noah where we just do what we want to do. But there's a confidence about the fact that God has things planned for us. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing to happen today? Anybody excited about that possibility? Or are you thinking, oh, heavens, Bill, no. It's Memorial Day weekend. We're going to the lake. We've got plans. My vacation kicks in on Monday. Oh, please, can he wait a week? Would it be a glorious thing? I don't, want, I don't know what it's like to fly. When people talk about, Bill, if you had one superhero gift, what would it be? I want to fly. One day I'm going to get to fly. Does it excite you to know that one day the trump's going to sound and Jesus is going to come back and the dead, if we pass before he comes back, you and I are going to raise first and then those who are left, they're going to join him. Can you imagine how glorious that will be? Do you get excited about that? Guys, I'm a minister. I get paid to get excited about that. Do you get excited about that? Do you get excited about the fact that one day it's going to be the end of all things and the father's going to say, son, go bring him home. Let's bring him back. We're going to meet God in the air, Lord in the air. And listen to this, the last part of that verse. And so we will always be with the Lord. You and I, those who are the called out ones, those who know Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, we will always be with the Lord. Does that give you any joy this morning? Does that give you any hope this morning? Does that give you any confidence this morning? Does that give you any peace this morning that no matter what you're experiencing in your life, one day he's going to call us home and we're going to be with him forever? Gosh, I get excited about that. Anybody else excited about that? Anybody? I see a few hands in the back. Y'all are asleep down front already. Oh, thank you for that. Yes. I get excited about that because I know that one day I'm going to be with him forever. Look what it says in chapter 5 of that same book. This is what Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. Now concerning the times and season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Hmm. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He's saying to those believers, you don't have any concern because you know the truth. You don't worry about when Jesus is going to come back because you know the truth. You have a confidence that whether he tarries and you die, or whether he comes back during your lifetime, this generation, it's going to be okay. I don't even need to talk to you about this because you know and you believe and you understand. Verse 11, just as in the end of chapter 4, therefore, encourage one another in these words. When was the last time a brother or sister encouraged you in the doctrine of last things? Hey, you know things are bad, but Jesus is coming back one day. We don't have to worry about this anymore. I kind of get excited about that. Folks, listen, I think I'm pretty healthy. I might die this week. Don't be sad, maybe for my wife and my kids and my dog. But don't be sad for me because guess what? There's an excitement about being in the presence of the God of creation. There's an excitement about being in the presence of the Lord. There's an excitement about not being in this world anymore apart from the people I love. There's an excitement in it. And folks, not because I'm a minister. It's not because I'm paid to believe that. It's what I believe about God's word and what I believe about my life and what I believe about my relationship with him. So I want to encourage you today. 
as your brother in Christ. And I hope you encourage one another. You know, things are tough this week, but maybe God will come back. Maybe Christ will come back. You know, things are tough. I lost my mom, but you know what? I know where she's at because of her belief in Jesus Christ. I have a confidence in that. Encouraging one another. A lot of times the Christian church isn't really good about encouraging one another, are we? God's Word says encourage one another. The truth is, the future is coming to unconcerned people. I, I, I love this because this is what Jesus said. Jesus says in verse 36 of 24 in Matthew, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, that's Him, but the Father only. I was a byproduct of the last end of the Jesus movement back in the mid-70s, early 80s. Some of you may remember that Jesus movement. Some of you may remember a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. I was 15, 16, 17, trying to figure out what I was going to do with God in my life because I had been a Christian, but I hadn't been very serious about it. And so that book came out, and that book talked about the last days. I listened to a contemporary Christian singer called Keith Green. His ministry title was Last Day Ministry. So in that time of the late 70s, early 80s, everyone was talking about Jesus' return is imminent. Guys, I don't know about you, but when you're 15 and 16 and 17, you just want to start the next basketball game before Jesus Christ comes back. You just want that girl that you've had your own just to like you before Jesus Christ comes back. There's so many things you want to do. You just want to own your first car before Jesus Christ comes back. You just want to get married and experience marriage, hint, hint, if you know what I mean, before Jesus Christ comes back. You just want to do those things. I remember being petrified. I remember praying, God, you can come back anytime you want to. Please send Christ back anytime you want to. But can you wait till I'm about 24? Would that be okay? From AD 66 until now, there's over 150 instances where men, very, very intelligent theologians and ministers, have predicted Jesus Christ coming back. I don't know why they missed this verse. I don't know why they spent time looking at Scripture and trying to figure out prophecy and, and doing all the signs and the wonders and all these things and, and trying to come up with a time. But they've had dates and times that Jesus was coming back. And it says in this verse, I don't know when I'm coming back. Only God knows. Only the Father knows. But yet, men like Martin Luther, Christopher Columbus, John Wesley, Pat Robertson, Jerry Farwell, all had predictions of when Jesus would return. You know what I'm excited about? I don't have to know. I have a confidence in the future that God has planned for me. I have a confidence in the future that God's planned for you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a confidence that he's planned for his son, Jesus Christ, in return, that when he says it's time, it's going to be time, and we're going to be excited about it, or we're not, depending on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 37 of that same chapter, it talks about those days. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming days of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know the story of Noah and the ark. 
You know that God looked upon mankind and, and it says in scripture, they continually did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were evil culture. They were evil in every aspect. They were into everything you can imagine, sinful. Everything. Let your imagination run wild. That was the world in which Noah lived. And so we had this godly man, the only one that God's going to save in his family, and he starts building something that has never been built before. Now, can you imagine to be in a godless society and doing something godly? And can you imagine the ridicule? Can you imagine what he dealt with over those decades, almost 100 years it took to build the ark? Can you imagine what he must have suffered at the hands of his neighbors and his friends and relatives? Here's a man doing God's work in a culture that's godless. Do you ever feel that way as a believer today? Do you ever feel that way as a a Christian that tries to take a stand on anything at all in this culture? Do you face the ridicule? Do you face the judgment? Do you you think about the fact that why, why are they so angry at me? I'm just telling the truth in love, if you are indeed telling the truth in love. And so in the days of Noah, that they, they didn't care. They, they, they didn't think about God. God was out of their mind completely. And here's a horrible fact that I'm going to share with you today. Do you know that from 16 to 30-year-olds, 43%, 16 to 30-year-olds, 43% don't even think about God. It's not that they don't believe in Him. It's not that they are agnostic. or They just they don't believe. They don't think about Him. They don't think about him as a grand creator. They don't think about him as a grand God. They don't think about him at all. They don't think about how he plays a part in his life. They just don't think about him. I can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend going through one of my days without thinking about, am I pleasing God? Am I glorifying God? Am I honoring God with my life? Not because I'm a minister on staff at Living Hope, because I am a follower of Christ. I'm a child of God. And I want to please the Father. And I want to glorify the honor. And honor him. It says in verse 40, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding in the mill, and one will be taken and one left. Jesus says, therefore, verse 32, stay awake. He's talking to believers. He said, stay awake, for you do not know the day that your Lord is coming. You don't know the day. So why does he tell us to stay awake? So we can be on guard, so he can catch us doing good things? No, he wants us to be aware because as we see that they approach, as we see him coming, that we can be more studious, we can be more excited, we can be more involved, we can be more intentional about sharing our faith with other people who are going to die apart from Jesus Christ and their end isn't going to go well. Therefore, he says, you also must be ready for the Son of God is coming when you don't expect it. Those of you who know me well know I can kind of play all kinds of scenarios in my head. Some of them are really funny. Some of them are really serious. And some of them just don't need to be played at all. But one of the things I think about from time to time, and maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't, have you ever thought about if Jesus were to come back, what would you be doing? What would you be doing if he came back? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if he just came back right now? I would love for him to come back and me preaching this word. That'd be pretty good. That'd probably be another jewel in my crown. Wouldn't it be great if he came back right now and you're worshiping in truth and the spirit here in this church and maybe the roof came off and there's Jesus in the clouds and we just float up to see him. Wouldn't it be great to call, be called in worship when Jesus came back? 
Wouldn't it be great to be called in a family Bible study with your husband and your wife, or your children, or, or your, your family, and you're just in the family Bible study, and Jesus comes back, and you go, well, well, let's close it up, boys and girls. It's time to go be with Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be sitting down with someone and you've just shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and they've come to a point of accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and they're saying the final amen, and Jesus comes back. Wouldn't that be glorious? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what Jesus is saying. Watch out. Be ready. Be alert. Stay awake because I'm coming back. And always be about the Father's business. I know we have lives. I know we have things we do. Scripture says whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do the glory for God. I can't get away from that. I can't get away from that Scripture verse that every, whatever I do, my hobbies... My likes, my dislikes, the things I'm involved in, the places I go. I look for opportunities to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's where the sermon turns kind of dark. So if you have a small child, you may cover up their ears or, or leave. Not really, it's not that bad. But it's, it's dark because there's a reality to the positive side of belief and of future things. He says in verse 48, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on that day when he does not expect it and in an hour that he does not know and he will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus didn't get very graphic many times in Scripture, but this is one of those graphic times where Jesus says to his disciples and those that were hearing, this is a hard saying that the master, God, will come back and he will utterly destroy the person that is sinful. And that he will go to the place of the hypocrites and that he will go to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, when he says cut to pieces, you need to understand something. You need to understand something. That was a very ancient form of punishment. In fact, it's mentioned in... Daniel, it's mentioned in First and Second Samuel, it's mentioned in Kings, and it's also mentioned in the New Testament book of Hebrews in chapter 11, where it says, for those of you who believe in Christ, you may be martyred, and one of the ways you may be martyred is sown in half, cut in half. It was a horrible, horrible punishment. And so for those people who were hearing Jesus saying that, they were horrified by that, the fact that there's going to be that type of punishment. The parable ends with Jesus blending the story with the reality of what it was meant to relate. The master, God, will cut to pieces the abusive servant and put him with the hypocrites in a place of misery and suffering. This is the common description used for eternal torment, often referred to, here it comes, guys, as hell. The reality is we believe there's a heaven and so scripture teaches that and teaches that those who believe in Christ go to that but it also teaches about hell. It also teaches about those who reject Christ, reject him. There's a place of eternal punishment that we know as hell. The disciples would have clearly understood Jesus' reference when he mentioned the hypocrites. It comes from a Greek word that really means actors. So Jesus was saying on stage, these people represent lives that they really don't live out. 
And the unfortunate part in many of our churches today, in many of our pews, there are those of us whose words and actions cover our inner private spiritual bankruptcy. The servant in this parable has revealed that his faith was not in the master. His actions prove as much. He represents that all those who claim truth in Jesus but serve themselves. Their faith in Christ is play-acting at best, and they will be sent away from Christ into torment at the time of judgment. I think one of the scariest verses in Scripture for me personally, and for those who I call my brothers and sisters in Christ and for the church, is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 23, and it says this. Jesus says, on that day, judgment day, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we did many mighty works in your name. Jesus says this, then I will tell them plainly. I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you workers of evil, you evildoers. I never knew you. I never knew you. Think about that for a moment. The last thing you see at judgment, you go to heaven, you're at the judgment seat of Christ, and Jesus says, I don't know you, but we did all these great things. I was a deacon. I was a pastor. I served in the nursery. I did all these wonderful things for you. I visited the hospital. I took meals to people. I was at church every Sunday. I did all these great things for you. That's what they're saying. We prophesied. We cast out demons in the power of Jesus' name. We did all these great things. Because their head was there, but their heart wasn't, Jesus said, I don't know you. I don't know you. And if Jesus doesn't know you, If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and he does not know you, where do you spend eternity? According to God's word. Can you imagine for a moment? Can you imagine for just a moment that you're that person? Can you imagine for a moment that the last words you hear from Jesus Christ is, away from me. Away from me. Away from me, you evildoer. Away from me. I don't know you. Away from me. I don't know you. For all eternity, you're hearing, away from me. I don't know you. Away from me. Away from me. Away from me. In all eternity, you think about all the good things you did for Jesus, but you never gave him your heart. You acted out works. You were a wonderful, play-acting Christian for all of life. And now you hear those words echoed for all eternity. I never knew you away from me. Here's the thing, folks. Hell is real. If we believe in heaven and we believe in Jesus and we believe in God, then we have to believe also what the scripture teaches about a Satan and a hell that's a real place. And as Christians, we we really don't like to think about it a lot. Let's be honest. When's the last time you talked about hell? You may have used the word a lot lately, but when's the last time you thought about hell? The consequences of hell and what hell really is. We don't like to think about an eternal judgment from a just God 
Who has to punish sin? Hear me, folks. Hear me plainly when I say this. You've had it said to you, I've had it said to me, and you may be thinking it right now, Bill, I just don't believe a loving God will send anybody to hell, and I completely agree with you. A loving God is not going to send one person to hell. A loving God sent his son. He gave his son in order that we could be redeemed, in order that we could be reconciled to him. Because of our belief in Jesus Christ and because of the sacrifice God made through his son, we can have eternity with him. He sent his son, and we have a choice. And if our choice is to reject God and reject his love and reject the sacrifice, then we make the choice, not God, we make the choice to spend time away from him in a place because of our disbelief. We really don't deny hell so much as we just kind of simply wish it wasn't there. You're probably thinking, wow, I got this morning and gave my Memorial Day time in worship to hear some old dude talk about hell. We really don't want to talk about it. In fact, there's some Christians and some denominations that have gone completely away from the theology and the doctrine of hell. It just doesn't exist. It's not there. It's just old-fashioned thought from another time. Hear me clearly when I say this. If you and I believe what we say we believe about the Bible and its inspiration and its inerrancy, if we really believe that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is inerrant, if we really believe that, then we can't get away from the concept of hell. We can't. From Moses to Jesus' earthly ministry to the concluding scenes in Revelation, the Bible confronts us with the horrific, horrific truth. Hell's real. Souls are punished there. Escape is impossible. And it lasts forever. I want you to hear me clearly. The Bible teaches that hell is real, that souls are punished there, escape is impossible, and it lasts forever. It's almost too much to think about this morning if you think about the millions and millions and millions of people that have died and now suffered God's just punishment for rebellion and sin. We really don't want to think about that too much, do we? Time's short. Whether Jesus comes back this afternoon or next week or next month or a hundred years from now, the time is short. Because I think I'm going to last another day or two. But my life may be taken from me tonight. I think I may have another 10 years, good, good 10 years, I hope. May have two. Don't know. My life could be short. Your life could be short. Regardless of your age, your life could be short. This weekend, I serve as a uh, volunteer chaplain for the police department. And a 22-year-old woman had her whole life ahead of her overdosed on drugs. And when I talked to the family, I talked to the mom, and I talked to the grandmother, and I talked to the stepmom, and I talked to the dad, and no one could tell me if this young lady had a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. The people that loved her, the people who held her close and loved her and cared for her and nurtured her and, and wanted the very best things for her life did not know 
if she had a faith relationship with Jesus Christ or not. They couldn't tell me. They hoped she did. She thought she had a lot more time than 22 years. But she didn't. And so the truth is that in the time that we started this service just a few moments ago, the, the time we end, 6,316 people will die. They'll end their time here and begin eternity. And in just a few seconds that I made that statement, 105 people have died and ended their life here and began eternity. How many of those do you think are in heaven? How many of those are rejoicing right now before the throne of God? How many of those are experiencing all the promises of the future that God predicted for us to believe? How many of those are there and have all eternity to be in the glorious presence of God the Father and Christ the Son? And how many of those 105 have no hope but the torment, the what could have beens, and the what ifs, and the total separation from any hope in hell? How many? My brothers and sisters, hell is a real place for those who reject Jesus. And you and I can remain silent about it, or we can try to put it in our minds, but the truth is that hell exists, and you and I know someone this very day, this very week, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone in our life that will take their last breath here and will spend eternity in the glorious promises of God in heaven are the horrible, grim reality of hell. There's no middle ground. There's no both and. There's no either or. There's no do-overs. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? Because I'm hoping that during this time, you've thought about someone that needs to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Perhaps you've been praying for them. Perhaps you've been talking to them. Perhaps you wanted to avoid the subject of where they would spend eternity apart from Christ. Hear me when I say this, and hear me when I say this with all my heart. Don't, don't go to them and try to scare them into heaven and out of hell. Please don't do that. And don't be motivated by fear yourself. Guys, God sent his son to prevent this for us because he loved us, because he cared about us, because he wanted us to experience life in the fullness, this side of heaven and on the other side. I've come that they may have abundant life. But may your motivation be time short. I love this person. I care about this person. I want this person to experience God in his fullness, both sides of heaven, this side and the other. And I do not want them with everything in my power through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to experience hell. I just don't want to. I don't want them to do that. Do you have a passion for that? Do you have a drive for that? For those of us who have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, we wait in confidence and hope for a future, whether it's through our death or through Christ's return, that we'll spend eternity in heaven with him. I have a confidence and a hope in Christ. I speak like Paul when I said, for me to die is gaining, for Christ is to live. If I die, that's great because I know what God's plan for me is. I know his promises for my future, for all eternity. 
But for me to live is to be Christ to people in my whole messed up life. As imperfect as Bill Wade is as a man, my responsibility is to be the best Christ I can be to people. And what did Christ come to do? He came that people may be reconciled to God. And that's my responsibility and that's your responsibility. As a child of God, you can't get away from it. You don't have to obey it, but it's still your responsibility. For those of who don't have that assurance, the grim reality for them is hell. It's just that easy. For those who believe, there's heaven. For those who don't believe, there's hell. There's no middle ground. Tomorrow, we're going to celebrate Memorial Day, and we will remember men and women that throughout the decades have sacrificed their lives in order that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have and live in the freedoms of this country that we have. What are you willing? What are you willing to sacrifice today? What are you willing to sacrifice this week? What are you willing to sacrifice this month in order that others, they be free from the judgment of hell and free to live in the assurance of eternity in the presence of a loving Heavenly Father. What will it take? Loss of pride, loss of fear, a boldness in the Spirit, an excitement about the things to come that spills over in your life because you're so excited about what God's doing in your life, you're so excited about what He will do in your life, you're so excited about the promises of the future and what's waiting for every one of us who believe in Christ you're so excited you can't take help to tell people about it? Or we leave here in a few minutes and we'll go out to eat and we'll have a server come and talk to us and we won't even think about asking to pray for them, asking about their faith relationship with Christ. And we'll eat our food and we'll have a good time and we'll go home. We might stop by the grocery store or by Walmart and we'll have some attendant there that may be dying and going to hell this next week. We don't know. And we may be kind to them. We may not be. But we won't think about sharing with them the joy we have in Christ and how they can experience it too. Because much like in the days of Noah, if we're very honest, we're just living our lives, doing the best we can, getting by today and tomorrow and the next week and just going on about life the best we can, without any real think, thinking about God and what he wants for our life. And so as a minister, we'll probably never see you again for another seven years when everybody goes out of town. Let me leave you with these words. Let me plead with you from these words. We have this glorious, glorious promise from God. We have this incredibly wonderful future from God that we all know and we trust and we know what's going to happen, and we're excited about it, I hope. And we have people this day that we know have no hope. Have no hope. If they take their last breath today, they have no hope. We have a responsibility for that. We have a responsibility to that as children of a living, loving God. And so, a couple of things I want you to think about. If you're play acting your life as a Christian, if you're play acting the look and the act and the language and all those things, but you know your heart is far from God and you know you're playing 
please, 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 swallow your pride. Admit that you're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ. I'll be down front. I'll be happy to talk to you about that. More than happy to talk to you about that. Please don't continue fooling yourself. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, please don't go out those doors. I beg of you. I plead with you. And I don't beg or plead for anything. I beg you and I plead for you. Don't go out those doors. You talk to me or someone about Jesus Christ and what you need to do to have assurance for all eternity that you'll be in the presence of a loving God. I'll spend the rest of the afternoon with you if that's what it takes in order that you may know Christ and know Him fully as your Savior and Lord. What other challenge to you personally as my brothers and sisters in Christ? Don't be the man they talk about in Scripture who looks at his mirror and his image in the mirror and turns away and forgets what he looks like. In spite of me, you've had some encounter with the Holy Spirit today. In spite of me, you've had some encounter with God's Word and the holiness of His Word, and it's, it's, it's said something to you. In spite of me, don't deny that. Don't go out in a few moments and just forget what you've heard. Act on it. Let the Spirit permeate your actions and your thoughts and your life. Let's be what we're called to be. Let's be real about who we are in Christ. Let's see a community and a church, the nation change because we get real about who Jesus Christ is in our own personal life, but we also know, we also know that apart from Him, apart from Him, there is no hope. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters today, and I thank you for this time that we can come together and we can celebrate your word. We can celebrate the promises of your word. We can celebrate what you have planned for us, Father, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. You've got us in your presence for all eternity. That's your plan through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, I'm excited about that. I hope my brothers and sisters are excited about that. But Father, we also know there's a reality of that non-belief and that's people will spend eternity in hell and some people that we love and some people that we care about so father help us to find a boldness about ourselves help us to find the empowerment of your spirit to be an overcomer overcome our pride overcome our fear overcome whatever it takes father to share the faith and the hope that we have in your son to those who are perishing and they are perishing Help us, Father, this Memorial Day to remember the freedoms, not only that we were given by men and women of flesh that died so we may continue to live with these truths and these freedoms, but, Father, help us to remember a God that loved us so much that he sacrificed his own son that all who believe, all who believe can come to him and find restoration, can find redemption, can find reconciliation with you. God, be with my brothers and sisters. Help us go out with the boldness of who we are and whose we are in your son, Jesus Christ. For we ask this in your son's great name. Amen.